week's episode touches on some very sensitive subjects and is not meant for younger viewers. Um, is not meant for younger listeners, so uh, please take this into consideration. If there are children in the car, we do not recommend listening to this um, with younger children in the car or in listening space. Also, if you are dealing with any of the issues that may be coming up during this episode and they may be triggering to you, it may be best to wait a week or two before listening to these uh, to this episode. Um, and also, this would be a wonderful time, and we, we highly encourage you to reach out for help at this time um, on these subjects. If you or a loved one, anyone that you care about in your life, is dealing with thoughts or feelings of suicide, then please reach out or have them reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. one 800 Five, five. Now that's for in America. I'm not sure if they also have that available in um, the, the United Kingdom or Canada um, or any other places that may be listening to this. But I know that those countries as well as other countries will have a suicide prevention hotline. Please go online and look them up. Um, the best way to remember it is 1-800-273-TALK. Um, there is also a number for the hard of hearing and the deaf, 1-800-799-4889. And there is also a way that you can chat if you go on suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Um, you can chat with them online um, if you don't feel like talking over the phone. If you're not having suicidal thoughts, but you are having har thoughts of harming yourself um, that are non-suicide related, then uh, you can text CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 741-741, and you will be able to talk to someone through text. Um, there are also crisis counselors available um, in most states through what they call warm lines, um, which are not for suicide, but are for people that are feeling like they are going to do self-harm. And finally, if you are dealing with eating disorders, then there is a helpline for this as well, 1-800-931-2237. Again, this is in America. Every country should have this um, and most likely does have this. Um, I just don't have those numbers, so please also feel free to reach out um, if you are having help, need help with eating disorders. Um, unfortunately, the eating disorder hotline is only Monday through Thursday. Um, or Monday through Friday um, during normal business hours, um, 9 to 9, um, and closed on holidays. But there are other helplines out there as well. Please reach out and receive the help you need. Please reach out. Get the help that you need. People care about you. to the bare naked abc's bare naked we would never be naked when i was young we showered with our clothes on but i digress about my dress and returned to redress our address to our guests and this week i welcome my co-host michelle hello 
And unfortunately, we are without Aaron this week, as we will be discussing the song Everything Old is New Again. Mm. Now, we are not talking about the Peter Allen song from the play All That Jazz. No. Which is an excellent song in in and of itself. But we are not talking about that song. No. And even though I liked it when Wolverine sang it on Broadway. <laughs> no need to remember when. Because everything old is new again. We're not, we're not doing that one. But I'm going to ask Aaron. And I'm going to. We don't have him this week. But I am going to plug him in here. I want to know if, if he can figure out what album this song comes from. Aaron, first and foremost, before we even get going on your analysis, yeah. what album does this come from? Ah, so my thoughts were, obviously Steven is singing, so it's got to be Phase 1 BNL. It sounds a little more polished than Gordon, but not quite as slick as Stunt. So my guess is maybe you should drive. You got it. Excellent. In one try. Nicely done. I'm st- I don't know enough of Born on a Pirate Ship to be comfortable knowing if I was kind of torn, but I figured I was a little more familiar with the stuff on this album, so uh, that's that's where I went, but turned out to be correct. That was good. That's good. <laughs> and now that we're back, this song was off from Maybe You Should Drive from 1994. Yes. If I remember correctly, Michelle, this is one of your yep. one of your favorite albums. It- I came into it late, but it definitely is one of my favorites. Yeah. And this is a Paige Duffy song. The Paige Duffy uh, pairing is always magic to me. Like, to me, those songs hit me where I live and where I feel. So (laughs) I I don't usually do a lot of research, as is probably obvious to all of our listeners. I just go with my gut on most of this stuff. This song has always been such a strong song for me that I did some research and I'm like, of course, it's a Duffy Page production. Of course (laughs) it is. So, yeah. I usually like the Duffy Page productions. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see where it ends up later on. But Oh. I have to say, I don't think Bare Naked Ladies likes this stuff, this song very much. Really? They have, yeah, they've never come out and said anything. However, they have only, according to Setlist FM, they have only ever played this song ten times in concert in their thirty years. Really? That is a lot of missed opportunities to play the song. I, I was going to say that's a lot of time to not play this. That's a lot of... There's there's flutes and saxophones, but they do that in a lot of their other songs and then leave it off and they pare it down for the concert. They have been, I would say, actively avoiding this song in their repetitions. Interesting. I mean, you can't say it any other way if you've only hit it 10 times in 30 years. And it's really good. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think it's one of their classics really i'm going to say that i would agree with them on this one but we'll get to my rating later on oh my god matter of fact we'll we're gonna cut in we're gonna cut right now to aaron's musical breakdown there we go have him break this song down okay um but before we do that i do have a couple of questions that i want him to answer okay the beat 
is a different beat. I want him to talk a lot more about the beat this week. And I'm going to ask him specifically to talk about the beat with this song. And also, I want to know more about the, especially in the last chorus, if there is disharmony in the different groups of the Mm. instruments. I feel like the flutes and the piano and the piccolo are playing a disharmonious uh, chord versus the singer and the bass player and the guitar on that last, but even as it builds throughout the song on those, those choruses, it feels like they're getting more there. There's something odd and different and not conjoining on those, which is totally perfect for the nature of the song. I can see that. I can see that. You know what I mean? Like if you want to look at it that way, it just takes their genius even a level higher than it already is. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'm going to hand it over to Aaron now okay, and let him take over. Um, so before we get going, our friends over at over It's All Been Done yeah. podcast asked a question during their covering of the song okay. that I wanted to make sure that I answered because they actually <laughs> threw it out to us to answer it. Sure. Um, they weren't sure if it was a tuba playing with the brass and piccolo and, and flute during the chorus. It sounds like a tuba, yeah. but they said it's not listed in the liner notes. After listening to this song several times, just to answer this question, yep. and then reading the liner notes... It could be a French it's horn. Actually, <laughs> it's actually Neil Nicholson on the tuba. It is a tuba, okay. Um, I figured, it is a tuba. There was a nice, deep, brassy sound, you know? It's, it's hard to mistake yes. that for anything else. Um, Ed, so we have Ed on acoustic, pedal, steel guitar, and interestingly enough, bass drum. Mm. We have... Andy on piano, accordion, cymbals, reed organ. Tyler on drums and snare drum. Jim on the double bass. Paul Barron on trumpet. Caroline Ricchetto on flute and piccolo. And Colin Weinmeister on trombone. To their credit, though, to give give some credit to, to It's All Been Done, the liner notes are very, very difficult to read on this uh, album. Yeah. Uh, because of the font and the color that they used. So I almost missed it when I was going through it. So break it down for us, Aaron. Break down, break down, break down. Aaron's going to talk about construction and time. (laughs) What key is this in? (laughs) Well, uh, I can't really tell you what key it's in. I can tell you what keys it's in. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Uh, the majority of the song is in B flat major, and uh, I have to admit this song actually was a little bit of work. Um, at first, for some reason, I think just because of the the the, the seeming, uh, maybe because of the key change, because there's a key change in the bridge, maybe because of the seeming uh, pull of some of the what I felt was the tonic. Um, the fact that they're very heavy on the five chord in the song, even almost more so than the one. Uh, at first, I was thinking it was in um, F sharp mixolydian, <laughs> which I had, I was like pulling my hair out because I was like, that's really odd. I'm like, well, I guess the Beatles did some stuff in mixolydian, like Norwegian wood and stuff like that. And it kind of sounds Beatlesy. You know, there's, yes. there's to me this really sounded like Sgt. Pepper's. You know what I mean? Because there's there's the the big band elements and stuff like that, and the horns and the bounciness. It very almost sounded like being for the benefit of Mr. Kite or something like that. Um, so at first I was like, wow, maybe this is in. You know, it's like it seems to be an F 
sharp, but it's definitely not minor, but there's a flat seven. And I was like, well, maybe it's Mixolydian. And then as I was like looking at the chords, I'm like, this is all wrong. That can't be right. And then I realized, oh, okay. So it's actually just in B flat major. It's a lot simpler than I thought, but there is this really cool key change in the bridge. Uh, which actually it changes up to G flat minor, which is so funny because I thought it was an F sharp the entire song. Uh, so <laughs> the the thing is, I okay, I'll, I'll be honest. I hate sharp keys. Uh, I uh, I'm a guy who you know, I I learned. Uh, I'm a drummer first and foremost, and a singer. Uh, as soon as the first instrument I learned to any real talent was a keyboard. And, you know, the first thing you learn on a keyboard is the C major scale, because that's all white keys, right? And then A minor, because the relative major of C, it's all white keys. Then you got to start bringing in the black keys. And for me, I learned all the flat keys first. I learned, uh, you know, like B flat blues, E flat, e flat blues, uh, these all these pentatonic and blues scales and stuff, and they're all using flats. I, 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 for whatever reason, whenever I had to play a song in a sharp key, I was always like, oh, wait, no, because I think of the, I still think of the, the, the flat, the, see, the flat keys, I just said it, I think of the black keys on a keyboard as flats, that's like the default mode for me, so to have to like go the other way and attack them the other direction, I'm like, wait, no, that's, that's not technically G flat, that's F sharp, you know, it's the same damn key, <laughs> same the key. same note, but we refer to it differently because it's a sharp scale, so for me, sharp scales are a nightmare, <laughs> Might have been why I had so much trouble with this one. But, um, uh, yeah, and this is almost every single note is sharp in this scale. <laughs> There's, like, two two naturals. So, uh, you know, it, uh, <laughs> wow. it, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting for me. So, but, you know, and also this is not one of the songs. There, occasionally I have, I admit I have cheated and, like, looked up and been like, hey, does anyone know what key this, this song is? I haven't asked like that, but I've, I've, like, Googled and tried to find... You know, if, if there's an analysis of this or like there's like uh, maybe chords, a lot of time you can't really rely on chords that are posted online because they'll be like, play these chords structures with your fingers on the guitar, but use a capo. So it's not really, I mean, I guess you could trans, uh, <laughs> I guess you could, uh, uh, you could transpose at that point. But um, yeah, so I, this is not one of the ones that was, there was a lot of information out there. I could find the lyrics and that was pretty much it. And I think maybe I found a couple of uh, uh chord analysis that were from the guitar perspective that were totally not what I was listening to and not what I was hearing. So I was like, okay, I had to do this uh, on my own and it's a key that I hate. So it took me a while, <laughs> but um, it was an interesting experience. And the cool thing is that I, I really kind of liked the song a lot more when I finished my analysis because you know me, I love programmatic music. I like music that is... Uh, there are things musically in this song that kind of illustrate points that are related to the lyrics. And um, it really made me appreciate it a lot more by the end. So, <laughs> all that to say, key of B-flat major to start off with and for the most of the song. The intro is just bouncing between the 5 and the 1. The verse is 5-1-5-2-5. Five, five, five. The pre-chorus is 6-2-5-2-1. Uh, 6-2-5-2-1. And then turn around 2-5-4. And that sets you up to go into the chorus as you go from the 4 down to the 1. The chorus is one five four, uh, sorry, uh, one five six four one five one five seven two, and then the turnaround. Whoa! <laughs> uh, four one. Oh man, it's a four one four one four five one. So it's, it's don't be don't be nothing well, simple about well, the song. Well, it's deceptive because. 
the majority of this song is like a, a two five one turnaround or a one four five one five four. It's all very much based in convention in musical convention. But there is a little more complexity layered on top of there. There's definitely like we're getting the uh, two six five one. There's a lot of jazz. Uh, uh, arrangement here, and there's a lot of jazz phraseology. We go to the bridge, and that's the one that really kind of gets a little more complex as a song. So we, we're shifting the key. We have a key change to the G flat minor, ending with a two five one turnaround, which is really brilliant. Works perfectly to bring us back into the chorus because the tonic for this key is actually the fifth degree for our main B major scale, and uh, the or not not into the chorus into the uh, verse I should say and if you recall the verse starts with the five so we're going oh. it's like two five one but then that's that one is really also the five of the initial uh, keys we're five one five we go back into that so uh, that's why it works so well and it's um it's a really really beautifully done change um, so we have the intro which is kind of the A chord the A chords um, it's just five one five one bouncing back and forth. Uh, the verse is pretty much that with an extra, like, a two thrown in here. So you have A, A for verse one, pre-chorus, which is B, uh, and then the chorus, which is C. And then we have verse two, which is A, pre-chorus, B, chorus, C. Then we have that bridge uh, with the change to the G-flat minor, which is D. Verse three, A, pre-chorus, B, chorus, C. And we end on the pre-chorus, interestingly enough. We bounce from the chorus back into the pre-chorus, which was a little... I don't want to say jarring, but unexpected and kind of an interesting way to end it. So you have A, A, B, C, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, B, Ab, Cab, Kadab, Kab. I, I sound like a weird magician. But yeah, definitely getting bits of uh, Sergeant Peppers with the instrumentation and arrangement. Um, I really like the melody. It's really cool. Uh, the lyrics are one of the most interesting parts to my mind. I think that... There's a lot of interesting things that you could uh, you could go and get in there with analysis for like uh, you know people who are maybe uh, experiencing depression, kind of using each other as emotional crutches to try and help each other out, going through the cycles of getting out of it, climbing out, then falling back in, climbing out and falling back in. This, this is a recurring theme we're hearing from Stephen definitely, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a song that I, I it's not that I, I never disliked this song. But I went from just kind of liking it to really liking it quite a bit uh, by the end of my analysis. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, the programmatic nature of what they're doing musically and how that aligns with what they're saying in the lyrics, especially in the bridge, where the bridge gets kind of dark and you go from a major key to a minor key. Uh, and that's uh, it's kind of really uh, illustrative of of what they're trying to say. So, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this quite a bit. So... Here's one of the questions that I have for you. Sure. That last chorus that we have, the especially the piccolo and flute and piano versus all the other instruments and the the singer. Are are they playing different keys? Is there something disharmonious that is there between those two sets of of Groups of instruments, I guess, is the way to put it. So at what point in the song are you talking about? Uh, the last chorus. I mean, it's kind of building throughout it, but it's, it's whenever the the uh, the woodwinds are in the in the brass come in, um, but it's especially more noticeable in the last one. Yeah, there's nothing that's being played that is atonal or 
outside of the key. There's nothing dissonant there, but the piano is definitely doing some runs with passing tones. There's a lot of notes happening at once, so it's very easy to perceive some dissonance or um, to, to kind of hear something that's slightly less harmonious in the way we'd think of it. Or even, um, again, going back to the, prog uh, the programmatic nature of the music, trying to illustrate like kind of a cacophony maybe, because, again, with... Like those Beatles songs, like on uh, uh, Sgt. Pepper's and such, or even I'm thinking now of Radiohead, the national anthem, where they have the crazy uh, mm -hmm. brass and everything playing at the end and woodwinds and everything's kind of screaming. That is a lot more straightforward uh, dissonant or, or atonality there, dissonance uh, or atonality. But uh, this is, yeah, this is, is, everything that I was hearing was in, in the key, but it's very busy. And um, maybe... A little bit of like uh, illustrating anxiety there, musically. Yeah, well, it definitely caused me anxiety <laughs> listening to it. Like there was something about that part that I just immediately disliked. Yep. Um, it, it, it just rubbed me the wrong way in listening to it. So, okay, I was like, well, Aaron will understand that a lot better than I will listening to that. I can just know I don't like it. It's, cer it's certainly not a restful sounding uh, passage. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and it's probably not meant to. Yeah, be. exactly. Yeah. So, I'm going to send this to Aaron. Um, Al Tyler was not happy during the production of this album. He was very upset during the production of this album, according to the BNL biography. Ben Mink had him playing with a metronome on his ears, uh. and would also he he would take him and I and I want to say this is one of those songs that he did this with him on. I don't. There's nothing saying it's this particular song that I found. But it feels like this may be one of those songs. He would do a number of takes for Tyler, and then he would go in and he would splice what he wanted it to sound like and cut and repeat them. So he had the continuous repeat sound for Tyler and use a lot of different takes together to make it sound the way he wanted it to sound. To say that Tyler felt controlled would be understating it. As a matter of fact, Tyler had some pretty strong words in the biography when he was talking about his time on the production of this Interesting. Album. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's interesting you say that because I recall when I was uh, studying music at UMA, I played in a band with Chuck Winfield, who was my one of my professors, and he used to be the trumpet player for Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And uh, oh. that was really cool, especially because I got to perform in a concert with him. We played some, some funk. You know, we played like Gibraltar. So I'm sitting there drumming on a funk song, playing with the, the trumpet player for Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool. But I hated that band. I was in so many bands, because when you're in a music school, you're in like a different band or two every semester as part of your classes, right? So I was in like a Latin band. I was in several jazz bands. I was in a jazz combo. I was in several choruses, jazz choruses, a barbershop quartet, a progressive rock band. These are all <laughs> classes I took, which is really cool, you know? Um, but... That was the that was the one band that I hated playing in the most because he would pull out the damn metronome every time, and I I had to play. You know <laughs> the thing is, if it was a classical school, if I was at Juilliard, <laughs> I would have expected this, right? But this is jazz. We're supposed to be free and we're supposed to be able to kind of flow and you know put your emotion into it. Now I get I get it that playing with emotional content does not necessarily transfer over into rushing and dragging. And there's a whole scene or, or several scenes in uh, the movie Whiplash, which uh, my fellow <laughs> jazz drummers can probably relate to. 
Um, but even 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 J.K. Simmons and Whiplash didn't have a metronome. He just knew the time. <laughs> so <laughs> there was nothing worse than that metronome. I, I hated it. So I totally uh, feel empathy for Tyler. Um, yeah, this song is about 97 beats per minute, so I'm sure they probably had him very precisely playing that. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I have empathy there. I'm sure that couldn't have been a lot of fun. Now, interestingly enough, in the newer stuff, we see it's exactly on time, so they're probably either using electronic drums or, or they're quantizing him using MIDI or, or something. I'm sure he's probably gotten used to it over the time, but this might have been the first album where he had to do that, and that was probably... He probably felt a little restrained by that, which I can relate to. That would be the way to put it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the polite way? That's the polite way to put it. <laughs> it's also interesting, and I don't know why they did this, and I think this might be one of those things that is making me upset, making me not like it. I love Ed playing the drums. Don't get me wrong. I don't like it when you have three different people playing percussion on the same song, and my guess is not in the studio at the same time. So you have Tyler playing some of the percussion. He's on snare, he's on drums. You have Andy playing some of the percussion, and then you have Ed playing the bass drum. And when you have three different pl people playing the same song, at, I just feel like different rhythms most likely. You're gonna be playing around with the music a lot. You're gonna, It's gonna feel worked. And I get the feeling that this song feels very worked. There's something that feels off for me about this song. Maybe that's why they don't play it, because they just don't have happy memories of making it. No, I think there were a lot of unhappy memories of this whole album, for the most part. Uh, matter of fact, they have been reported as saying in the biography that they were exhausted because they had just come off Gordon, had just done the tour for Gordon, and none of them were feeling funny during the during the recording of this album this is also the album where andy was thinking of leaving and had yeah. and was vocal about thinking about leaving and the band encouraged him in good ways encouraged him to stick around um through the album and then through the process of uh touring for this album but he was on his way out he wasn't totally happy with where things were at currently at the with himself in the band and with what he was wanting to do with music. And we see that more later when he goes back to do the brothers creaking albums with his brother. Yeah. So this, to say this is a, a bad time for BNL is to put it lightly. This was a really tough, rough year for them. And I think this is one of those songs where it kind of sinks through. I love this song. I love the album, but like I said, I came into the album late and I started, I think I was listening to this after Stunt and Maroon. Like it was in 2000, um, like late 99, 2000 that I really got into this album and just started listening to the whole album. I just love it. To me, I have, I have one sentence that sums up how I feel about this song. And, and this kind of shows my approach to what I like about this band and I listen to it from an emotional point of view or how it makes me feel. This song, for me, expresses exactly what it was like to be a 20-year-old in the 90s. To me, yeah. it's everything about it. That's your 20s. That's how it was in the 90s. The whole everything, like the the emotional turmoil and the messed up relationships and the trying to 
make something real that isn't and the eating disorders and this, you know, the potential threat of suicide. Not that that was something of mine personally. And I want to say if anybody out there listening is having suicidal thoughts, I want you still to be here. So please reach out, get some help. We want, we need you to stay here. But this song kind of touches on that. And it so represents what it means to be Gen X and what it was to be that age in the 90s and just being an adult latchkey kid and trying to get through the process. And I just feel like it's such a perfect representation of that. I can't not love it. And it's a bummer to hear that they didn't have a great time recording it because it's such a powerful song i feel to me it's a powerful song and it's a bummer that they may not love it and i don't know that they don't love it so that's me projecting into them but i also like that that 10 times in 30 years does say something i don't know if it says they just don't like it or they it's too hard to play in concert because it's too too many different things going on i don't know To me, it's just a walk down memory lane, I guess. And just like, yep, it's about being seen and and feeling like that's exactly right, Stephen. That's exactly right. Like it's another level of connection. Like that's somebody who totally gets it, has messed up relationships and nothing is really working and just trying to get through each day and just trying to get through our 20s, you know? And And to me, that's what the song is. So... Yeah, that's that's really it. I don't really have much more to say about it. I wanted to like this song. So. I really did. Yeah. Um, and when it hit, there was something within the first, like, within the first 30 seconds of the song that immediately rankled me. And I didn't know why. I'm like, okay, well, the more times I listen to the song, it's going to get, <laughs> it's going to wear off. But also as the song went on. It hit me like that, that feeling of not liking it hit me harder. There are just some songs that the more times you listen to them, the more you like them. This worked in the exact opposite direction in that I couldn't like it as much as I wanted to. Um, I tried to listen for the complexity and and like it for that. I tried to go with the emotion. I tried, no matter what I tried, I couldn't connect into the music of this song. And so I like the more I listened to it, I tried to kind of pull it out. Was I missing the guitar? Was I missing Andy in the song? No, they're all in there. I like the piano and the guitar when they come in. I like the flutes, the piccolos, the brass. Uh, it reminded me very much of the Beatles, especially Sgt. Pepper's Beatles. Um, and, and that kind of just that feeling of, of wall of sound. I like the third verse and the final line of the song. For completely different reasons. So like the the last line of the song, I liked it because of the simplicity. And I felt like that served the song much better, that simplicity of that last line. The third verse, I love because of the harmoniousness and the complexity of it. But all of the instruments seem to be working together and playing together and playing the same song. And it, And also it's slightly faster than the beginning of the song. And I think that's one of the things that hit me really early on is that if you have a strong bass and a strong drum, and then it's any slower and it would have been fine, any faster and it would have been fine. It was right in that middle ground where I was like, I wanted it to be more driving, and it wasn't. And I was like, I could feel my body on the third time listening to it, moving forward like a train, trying to push 
the drum to play faster. <laughs> that's interesting. And I think that's where it was. I think that was that that rankled me that little bit to set me off. Um, and then by the time it did pick up enough speed that I was like, I was feeling comfortable and the other instruments came in. So it blended the, the drum and bass a little more. Then they started playing disharmoniously. Um, and that's when I was like, oh, and it didn't, it never settled for me. I would love to hear a version of this done on the bathroom sessions to see what it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Just a simple guitar, just Ed and Steve. I would really love that. However, <laughs> I have to say, and I, we- and I avoid using this word most of the time, and you're going to hear me say today, I hate, venomously hate the bridge. I normally like off rhythm stuff. Last week, I loved Steven singing off rhythm and at, with a different cadence. Whatever it is that Ed is doing during this bridge, just I think it powered all that other anger and hate. It was like that river of slime in the bottom of Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> it would just you, boiled everything. Would you say this song is your another postcard? It's it's feeling like it. Um <laughs> It won't end up being that low because I hate the music. I absolutely love the lyrics. The lyrics are genius. They are. And I will also say that the catch, the chorus was very catchy. I caught myself a number of times during the week, like humming the chorus as I'm walking through work. So it is a very catchy chorus, especially the, the first two renditions of it went before it gets disharmonious. I love the lyrics. I love the poetry that Stephen and, and Stephen do with this song. I wish this was put to a different musical number or the instruments were, were composed differently because then this would probably go from the number I'm going to end up giving it to like a four or a five immediately. Um, I think even just trimming it down to just a guitar, a simple bass, a snare with cymbals, and just a simple bass line. I would be like all over the song. Um, it just does the the music totally doesn't work for me. That's so interesting. Let's talk about the the song a little bit. The yes. lyrics of the song. Yes. Um, Stephen, either you had some really challenging relationships when you were in your twenties, or you knew some people that had really challenging relationships in your twenties. <laughs> this just is- just surviving my twenties. Like, damn, it was it was hard. It was, yeah. I mean, I think it is for everyone, but I feel like especially in the 90s, you know, because we were kind of before technology, before things were easy, you, you know, it was just, it was a different world and just trying to figure out how to, I, I think it is for anybody, even people nowadays, people have to figure out how to live in the world. And I don't know if that experience is the same where Kids can still be on their parents' insurance till they're 26. And I'm not knocking the millennials at all. But for us, it was like, you're 18, you're out the door. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was a whole different thing. Like, you you got to figure it out. You're going to choose between milk or toilet paper. What's in your budget? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, we're, we're eating ramen noodles for the week. And I think for me, like some of the lyrics, and this is not even specific, like not, I don't take it literally, although you could totally take it literally. Everything old is new again, everything under the sun. Now that I'm back with you again, we hug and we kiss, we sit and make lists, we drink and I bandage your wrists. I mean, you could take that literally, but also it's totally representative of like 
trying to make it through your 20s, trying to figure it out. Like, okay, we've had some setbacks. Let's make a list. Let's figure this out. I'll help you. What can we do? You know, it's just, it totally captures that bare bones living and having all these aspirations and wanting all this greatness for yourself and wanting to find your soulmate or wanting to connect with people and just struggling through. And it's a struggle. Every day is a struggle. And I just feel like this song represents that so perfectly. Well, and that, like that first relationship that we have, that first love that we have, we continue to relive that as a human experience of reliving it over and over again until we learn the mistakes and the differences of those relationships and whether he is metaphorically reliving this relationship through a number of different relationships or he keeps going back to this one same relationship over and over again it is that that early experience of dating and having serious relationships of things being unhealthy wanting to still be in a relationship with someone that you love, but it's not healthy for you and not the right connection for you. Learning that you can love people that aren't right for you. And then eventually moving on, but not being ready to move on either. And and that's what this song is really all about. Oh my God. And spinning your wheels and trying to make a bad situation right. Like when he, at the part where he says, um, but when I say her, I love her, she thinks I'm telling lies. Is it all lost? No, we never had it. Like, that's so friggin' perfect. Yeah. Every word in this song is perfect, literally, and also perfect metaphorically. And I just, yeah. that's what I love about this song. Um, and I think the unrest in the music represents that, it represents the growing pains that we all have to go through to like actually become an adult. Yeah. I just don't think I could connect. Like there was something about it that rankled me right. for some reason. And I honor like, that because God knows I've got my songs that I am rankled by. <laughs> and I, there, there are some songs that are programmatic like that. There, that's that Beatles song that I really love that is programmatic and that it's trying to make you feel that way. And I love it because of yeah. it. For some reason, I just, couldn't get behind nope. it with this one. Um, and I wanted to. I really seriously like kept wanting to listen to it and love it. And that's the so. part that is a bummer. Like when you want to like it. It's not like, yeah. I don't care about this, whatever it is, what it is. Like you can give it your rating and call it whatever it is. And it is what it is. But when you want to like it and it's, but it's like the Juno Awards with the camera shots. They kept showing yes. that woman in the audience pardon my language you can beep that out um oh i will yoko just walked into the studio we're good like we don't care about the audience how stupid are you you cameraman show the band i want a tight shot of ed and steve and i want to see what's going on i need to be able to read the situation give me what i want and so that disappointment like i i feel it's a bummer when you want something and you're expecting it to be something and then it's you can't make it you can't make the round peg fit in the square hole or vice versa right and that's a buzzkill it is i'm sorry tracy that's okay (laughs) 
And the thing that made me want to like it so much was the lyrics. Um, yes. By the way, I agree with you that I am very concerned about the significant other that's in this song. I'm hoping that it was a fictional kind of situation. If not, I hope this person got help and got healthy. Because we're talking about some serious problems here. We're talking about non-suicidal self-injury and that she's cutting and, and needs her wrist bandage. We're talking about either bulimia or anorexia in that she is losing weight to a very unhealthy level down to the bone and still losing weight. And there's a good chance that it, the way that it's worded in the song that she's doing that in order to pull the narrator back into the relationship. And in some ways that's even sadder because that's the early signs of a personality disorder. Um, and so it's, it's very sad. Um, so I'm hoping that that person, if they, if it was based on a real person did get some help um, at the end of the show, if you do suffer from depression or um, anxiety to the point that you're doing non-suicidal self-injury or have any kind of eating disorders, um, we, we will be listing the phone numbers. So please do reach out for help from either the suicide helpline help or the self-harm text hotline. Um, I'll leave those numbers at the end. I'll also put it in our, in our web notes. Nice. Um, you know, please do reach out and get help. Yeah. Well, and I think along with that, the line, all of our fears come true again, recycle, reuse, resent and refuse our parents' ideals and views. Like no matter how much you're like, yeah, my parents are screwed up and they don't know anything. You still replay all the bullshit. You still, yep. you're trapped. You know what I mean? Like, no matter how much you think you're on top of the crap, it's part, you don't even know how deeply it affects you. So, I mean, this is yeah. such an interesting psychological study and just all that processing that you do in your 20s, trying to figure out who you are away from your birth family or your family of origin. So I just feel like there's so many interesting aspects to this song. Whether it's yourself no. or somebody that you know, you know what I mean? But sorry to jump on what you were saying, because it's important. <laughs> I'm glad that you're... You it can, is. You can space it out, but it's important that if people need help, they have the access to get help. And so I'm glad you're going to post the the numbers, because we want all of our listeners to be, if they're not happy, at least um, to be okay. Yes, to be healthy, because eventually... Pain does subside. Eventually the wave does crash and and we do heal. But we need people there to support us until that happens. So mm -hmm. you know, please reach out. If you don't have the people in your life, reach out to people who are there and want to be there through these hotlines to be supports in your life until that wave crashes and, and things can start to heal again and, and can help you make that journey. Exactly. So speaking of numbers on that somber note, let's bring it to <laughs> our numbers for the song, which yes. are, is probably going to end up being another somber note. I hate to say that's okay. I'll uh, just because of how strongly I connect with a certain phase of my life with this song, the rating is Gen Xers. How many Gen Xers are we going to give this song? And I like it. Yeah, I just feel like it's so like all of the latchkey kids from the 70s and we're teenagers in the 80s and we're in our 20s in the 90s. You know, we're we're wearing our goth T-shirts and we've all dyed our hair black <laughs> and we're wearing black lipstick and we're, you know, 
listening to the Smiths and et cetera, et cetera, and the Cure and Bare Naked Ladies. Like this, like fits right into that. Oh yeah, certain stuff. Stephen's stuff does. So that's why I went with Gen Xers. But I love this song. It's not a happy song, but it's a true song. It's true. The song is true on an emotional level, and I love it. Not as much as Conventioneers, but really damn close. So I give it a 4.8. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I um, really like the song. I and, and it's not that I would listen to it every, you know, like I may not go to seek it out, but when it plays, it's like, oh, yeah. It's like a mirror. Like, yes, mm-hmm. I see this. I'm so, it, you know what it is? It's like a touch point, like, oh my God. I'm so glad I'm not there anymore. Yeah. Look how far I've come. So it's more of that sort of a thing. So, Tracy. Well, it hits you deep like break your heart. Uh, it has that, that yes. emotion crushing piece for you, like uh, break your heart, where you don't want to listen to it every day. When you when need you do, to feel something and process your feelings, like put that on and just let it rip. Yeah. So I've given it my yeah. score. I would love to know what you give it, Tracy. How many Gen Xers do you give everything old is new again? <sighs> I hate it now, hate it and then. All right. There is nothing I don't like about this lyrically. It is a great effort from Stephen and Stephen. This is our version of even Stephen. <laughs> but. There's just that thing musically that I just can't get behind. Um, I wish I could say what it is. To me, this is a slower and darker version of Enid. Um, and I like Enid a lot more. Um, and maybe it's about the same person. I could see that it, it definitely is possible that it is. Like there's a lot of similar themes that keep coming back on with this this song there were there were themes that were mentioned throughout the song that that brought up Enid immediately when I was thinking of it Mm, yeah I think also this song falls on the album between a and alternative girlfriend and then followed up by am I the only one like that's that's not a good place to put this song in my opinion uh, because it just it weakens it in comparison so my rating for this, unfortunately, and, and it's given, it would be much, much lower if it weren't for the lyrics, is a 2.5. Wow. Well, that's not, that's not, I mean, that's right in the middle. Yeah. As Aaron no, would that, say. That is completely and totally the music. In terms of like, if I'm splitting the ratings down the middle, it's a zero for music and it's a 2.5 <laughs> for the lyrics. Oh, um, that's hilarious. I can't wait to hear what Aaron gives this. So, what is your rating? How many Gen Xers do you give the song? Ooh, how many Gen Xers? I give Everything Old is New Again 3.9 Gen Xers. I think it's quite good. It's not quite up to a four for me. You know, there's stuff like Box Set and Be My Yoko Ono and A, Break Your Heart. Those are songs that I think are just fantastic. This is right up there, though. This is, I mean, I certainly like this... Um, Again, I, I, it's it's the kind of song that rewards repeated listens and rewards the kind of person who sits down and listens to it with headphones on and just sort of like has the lyrics in front of them while they're listening to it. Um, it's a really gorgeous song, 
and uh, it has a lot of meaning for me. Once I kind of listened to the lyrics, um, I appreciated it a lot more. It's not one of my absolute all-time favorites, but it's really bumping up against that threshold. So um, I guess we're kind of all over the map on this one, <laughs> <laughs> which I like. That's cool. We, we usually are not necessarily in lockstep. There might be like one dissenter. You know the dissenting a Supreme Court opinion, and then <laughs> uh, oh yeah. But this time we're just all you know. We got a two, a three, you and a four. Came in right in the middle between Michelle yeah, and I. <laughs> yeah. So I like it. Don't love it, but I like it quite a bit. So uh, all right, good song. Very very interesting song, musically speaking, and uh, some some quite uh, interesting and and um, impactful emotional lyrics. Speaking of seeing things, do, what do you have for appearances? I have several appearances this week. Okay. Um, it's interesting. They only ever played this in concert 10 times, but I have four of those recorded on the Ooh. internet. Um, nice. So we're able to find four different versions of this. So if you love this song, then this is a great chance to go out and listen to them doing this live. There's one from 1994 when they were on Intimate and Interactive for Much Music TV in Canada. There is them doing this song on the ships and dips three tour in 2008 nice there's also and i want to say this is from one of their early years them doing a private concert at their management headquarters in vancouver um unfortunately the audio is not great on that one and then finally there is a copy of them where it was recorded um from their tour everything for everyone tour um, when they recorded every single show on the tour and then and then sell, uh, set it up to be sold for people, if they saw the tour, they could buy it online. Hmm. So there is a copy of them doing it uh, in Kanata, Ontario. I, mean, I know I messed that up. In February 24th, 2004. So there's four different versions, even though they've only played this 10 times in concert. <laughs> so we just need the other six. That's right. I can't find them yet, but I will. So I think that the singer of the song keeps falling back into relationships because of relationship inertia. But I, I feel like that we kind of did the same thing today. We Last week, we varied things up a little and it, it didn't work. So this week, we sort of just fell back into our old patterns. Uh, and switching things up so much last week, everything old became new again this week. But I, I feel like we are just falling back on our laurels. Um, hmm. We deserve a hearty handshake for trying something new. And <laughs> maybe... <laughs> sorry, I had to get that in there. <laughs> nice old, old day joke there. Um, and maybe we should continue to look for small ways that we can change things up. But maybe we should just stop discussing just the songs on albums. And maybe next week we should discuss a song that didn't make it onto an album or become a B-side. Can, what do you say? Do you think we should try something a little different and do one that, that's not an album? Sure. Why not? Well, well, can you think of any songs that that haven't been on an album lately that that we can fall back on? What about Fall Back? <laughs> <laughs> so next week we will be discussing the song Fall Back On, which appears on no albums. And we'll talk more about that then. I can't wait. That's going to be exciting. And maybe we'll fall back on our normal closer scores. There we go. We'll, we'll have a meeting ground. We'll, 
Although we're all allowed to- We'll fall back in line. We'll fall back in line. There we go. (laughs) That sounds good. Well, thank you very much for joining me tonight, Michelle. Thank you- Thank you, Tracy. It was a pleasure. It was a it was an interesting. It's so funny because it just shows you that music speaks differently to everyone, you know, and we all we all can have different opinions, but we can all still get along. That's right. And we can have a good discussion about it and have fun. Yes. And that's what we should fall back on. (laughs) I just had to get in on it. Sorry. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, our listeners, for listening to us. I hope you have a great week. See you next time, folks. If you or a loved one, anyone that you care about, in your life is dealing with thoughts or feelings of suicide, then please reach out or have them reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. 1-800-273-8255. Now that's for in America. I'm not sure if they also have that available in um, the the United Kingdom or Canada um, or any other places that may be listening to this. But I know that those countries as well as other countries will have a suicide prevention hotline. Please go online and look them up. Um, the best way to remember it is 1-800-273-TALK. Um, there is also a number for the hard of hearing and the deaf, 1-800-799-4889. And there is also a way that you can chat if you go on suicidepreventionlifeline.org. You can chat with them online um, if you don't feel like talking over the phone. If you're not having suicidal thoughts, but you are having thoughts of harming yourself um, that are non-suicide related, then uh, you can text CONNECT, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, to 741-741. And you will be able to talk to someone through text. Um, there are also crisis counselors available um, in most states through what they call warm lines, um, which are not for suicide, but are for people that are feeling like they are going to do self-harm. And finally, if you are dealing with eating disorders, then there is a helpline for this as well. one 800 931 2237. Again, this is in America. Every country should have this um, and most likely does have this. Um, I just don't have those numbers. So please also feel free to reach out um, if you are having help, need help with eating disorders. Um, Unfortunately, the eating disorder hotline is only Monday through Thursday um, or Monday through Friday um, during normal business hours, um, nine to nine. and closed on holidays, but there are other helplines out there as well. Please reach out and receive the help you need. Please reach out, get the help that you need. People care about you.